Amen. Do you believe it tonight? Do you believe that we'll see miracles? Do you believe that we'll see the impossible? Amen. Amen. So we sang that song. I want to. I didn't plan on starting with this, but I just about we exalt thee. Do you know what exalt means? The actual definition of exalt. It's to hold someone or something in a very high regard. Think or speak very highly of. Some of the syn- uh, synonyms are glorify, extol, praise, acclaim, raise to a higher rank or a position of greater power, make noble in character or dignify. I don't know if it's just my name, but I like looking up the definition of things. A lot of times I think that we just kind of say it and don't know what it means. Uh, But when you kind of hear what it means and you insert that into, I dignify you. I, I lift you to a higher standard. So I praise you. I acclaim you. I just, I just, I thought some of those, I elevate you. I think that sometimes we need to kind of step back and see what it means. So we're going to start in Mark 3, 27. The title of this is Eviction Notice. I have kind of been, God gave me the title a while back. I didn't, kind, I didn't know where he was going to go with it. I think that's a pretty normal thing, at least for me it is. And then even while I was writing my notes, it didn't go the direction I thought it was going to. Mark three twenty-seven. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his goods. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to come out tonight. I thank you for giving all of us the health and the willpower to come and, and take a t- some time out of our night. There's a million other things that any of us could be doing, but we set this time aside so that we can come and sit in your presence so that we can hear more about you. It's not because me or, or any other minister is up here preaching. We, we come expecting to see the impossible. We come expecting to see miracles. And I just pray, Lord, that you use me here tonight. Let it not even be my voice. Let my very voice change. I ask that you let me step aside and let it be not my intellect, my wisdom, my, my power, my, my knowledge, whatever the case, Lord. Just step forward and just use me as a, a, a microphone to your message. Let, let your message come forth and let it touch the hearts of your children, your bride that is here today. Let, let it just bless each and every one of those that are here. And I pray, Lord, that I do not falter in any way that I just bring forth what you have in store. Let it, let it not be anything that I come up with. Let it just be your word directly out of your scriptures that you anointed so long ago to be written. I pray, Lord, that you open our hearts that we can understand and take it in and open our ears that we hear and our eyes that we can see. Let all the distractions and any other 
foul and unclean spirit that may be trying to take away from this message here tonight, I take authority over them and I cast them out in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's written that we have that power to cast out devils. And I'm exercising that power here this evening. I thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do, and I thank you for what's going to come out of this service. May it be here in this assembly or anyone that is under the sound of my voice through the live feed, the recording, the podcast, however many years down the road. I pray, Lord, that this this will touch them and that they will see who you truly are and they will see who they are in you. And I thank you, Lord, for this and I ask these things in your name, Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, my power, my strength, my rock. Amen. You can be seated. So who binds the strong man? If you, if you go back a little bit, uh, this is shortly after the Pharisees said that Jesus was Beelzebub, and he said, how can Satan cast out Satan? So he goes on and he talks about the strong man. If a house be divided against itself, it falls. And if Satan rise up against himself, 26 and be divided, he cannot stand but hath an end. And then it, it, it kind of just drops 27 in there. No man can enter into a strong man's house and spoil his goods, except he will first bind the strong man, and then he will spoil his house. 28, verily I say unto you, all sin shall be forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewith so ever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is the danger of eternal damnation. 27 doesn't really seem to fit with the rest of what he just said. So who, blo- who is the strong man? Who binds the strong man? Is it up to us to bind the strong man? what we're getting at everybody's like Matt I don't know where you're going let's jump over to Luke 11 21 through 26 when a strong man armed keepeth his place his goods are in peace but when a stronger than he shall come upon him and overcome him he taketh from him All his armor, wherein he trusted, and divideth his spoils. He that is not with me is against me, and he that gathereth not with me scattereth. When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and finding none. He saith, I will return unto my house whence I came out, and when he cometh, he findeth it swept, And garnished. Then goeth he and taketh to him seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. 
So that kind of explains it a little bit more. So the initial strong man, who is that first strong man? Well, if we jump back up to 21 and 22 there, it says, but when a stronger than he. So the first strong man would be the demon that is living there. Satan himself that says, look, I have power over this house. The house being us, right? But a stronger comes. Who would be the stronger? The Holy Ghost. Thank you. So we talked about, and we, we've all heard it, Brother Sam talked about it a while back, about at one of the camps, there was a young man, he came up, he got a demon cast out. As he was walking, they were, they were doing a, bapti- you know, a baptismal, and as he was walking that direction, it was just, the demon just came back with all seven of the others. He was climbing walls. Uh, I believe Brother Andrew was telling us that story. He was banging his head against the wall. Because of what we just read. So you can say, well, I don't know about that. And there's, I'm, I know I've met plenty of people that say, well, you know, that's not really how it works today anymore. Um, well, if that's not how it works, then the Bible, then Jesus, these are, I don't know about yours, but mine are red letters, same yesterday, today, and forever, then it's not, this is a thing of the past, then why do we still preach out of it? Why do we still teach out of it? Why do we still study it if it's not a thing of today? This is, this is literally what can happen when you have that cast out or if you are the one casting it out. So you cast it out and you're like, oh, look, they're better. And you leave them there. You just left them to be worse than they were before. So word of warning. If you ever are praying for somebody, which we all should, just so you know, and you feel that demon rise up, and you're like, okay, the fight's on. Game time, right? And you cast it out. Do not leave that person until they are baptized with the Holy Ghost. It wasn't in my notes, but I just feel that we need to clarify that. So the strong man of Mark... 327 and the strong man of Luke 21 through 11 21 through 26 is it the same strong man that initial strong man let's go over to Mark 16 I hope that everybody is prepared and brought their Bible um We all can slip up when we are up here preaching. We might get ahead of ourselves and uh, misread something. And if I misread something, whether I, you know, whether it's on purpose or not, um, don't trust me. Don't trust the TV. Don't trust anything other than your Bible and what God tells you through it. I think that's a problem, and we've talked. To, I've talked about it a little bit. That's a problem that the church as a whole today is we're relying on somebody else's revelation. Oh, my grandfather would roll over in his grave if he knew that, oh, well, this would happen. Well, that would happen. Well, you know, 
Martin Luther said that the Word of God is ever moving forward. We cannot take a snapshot in time and say, this is what I'm going to hold on to. God will give you a revelation if you are seeking the said revelation. might not be what you want it to be. I'm going to be honest with you. Stuff will happen. God will tell you stuff and you'll go, Ooh, I don't know. I don't know, man. That, that hurt a little bit. But that's when we really need to seek his guidance. And make sure, I mean, that's what the Bible says. Test and make sure that it's of me, right? Not of me, but of him. Mark's, what I say, 16, 17. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. Shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. And then Luke 19, before we even talk about it. Luke 19, 17 through 20. Luke I kind of just, when I started, when I was writing my notes, it just kind of was just, I couldn't keep up with where I was going, and my little ribbons have gotten very short and worn out. Luke 19, 17 through 20. And he said unto them, Well, thou, well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in very little, have thou authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, Thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said, likewise, am I reading what I said? I was going, Luke 19, 17 through 20. I thought that, yeah. I think I put the wrong one, but. We'll just move on down. We'll go back to Mark 16. Let's talk about that. Mark 16, 17. Where does that power come from? I wrote down the wrong thing. I got lost. Like I said, I got lost in how fast I was typing it down. So where does that power come from in his name? So a lot of times we struggle and we fight and we say, oh, well, if I just do this, well, I have to do this. Well, I can gain victory if I do this. The power does not come through what we do, what we can do, what we promise we're going to do. Because we are still in a fleshly body. So we have to have the power. And if you read through anywhere in here, the power comes in his name. It comes through Christ. But how did, how did that happen? How did... How are we able to obtain that? Colossians 2, which is one of my just fav- favoritists. Colossians 2. I heard a preacher talking once and he was saying that uh, he was, when he prayed for people and he was, he could feel the demon on them and he was, he would pray this and pray that and he'd say, you know, in the name of Jesus and You have to leave. And he's like, it just felt like I wasn't getting anywhere. And then I quoted Colossians 2. 
13 through 15. <clears throat> and I, I've used it, if some of y'all come up here for prayer, it's now, it's a very powerful verse. And you being dead in your sins, right out the gate, you are dead in your sins. And the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Except for that one that, or except maybe, well, God, did, this was written a long time ago, and God ain't never seen a sinner like me. This was written a long time ago, so they didn't have the problems that I go through. So he, he, forgave, he forgave me all my trespasses, except for when I do... Right? That's what it means, right? That's what it... No. It says all trespasses. It might be a small three-letter word, but that says all. That encompasses everything. That leaves nothing out. So anytime Satan comes to you and tells you, hey, you messed up, you did this, God's not going to forgive you for that one. I'm dead in my sins. Satan likes to remind us of our past sins when we slip up, when we do something. He likes to remind us that, well, that's a new one. He only forgave you. This is something that I've actually heard being taught in certain churches that you were forgiven up to this point when you accepted Jesus. Anything from there back. But the reason that it's hard for us as human beings with a finite mind, meaning we have a beginning and we have an end, it's hard for us to understand things like this because by understanding this and believing this, we have to believe that Jesus did this before we were ever born. Fourteen, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us which was contrary to us and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Before there was ever a you, before there was ever a me, before our parents, before our grandparents, our great-grandparents, Jesus said, I'm a die for Sam Parker. I'm a die for Joseph Parker. We like to try to sound religious and say, well, this isn't about me. It's all about you, God. If it wasn't about you, then why did he die for you? It didn't say that he died so that he could have a better life. It didn't say that he had to die so that he could go back to heaven. Why did he come here? Why did he go through what he went through if it wasn't for you? I've said it before and I'll say it again. If you were the only person to ever accept him from the dawn of time and before to today, he still would have gone through all of it for you and only you. 
And it might sound a little conceited, and I'm not saying, yes, people will get puffed up and be like, oh, look what he did for me. That's not what I mean. But I want you to understand that he did all of this. He took the crown, the beating, the nails, the grave. And he took all of your sins and he went, Brother Sam just talked about it. And he said, you can have all these back. I'm going to take the keys, I'm going to take my friends, and I'm going to go. Bear those chains. I'm done. And having spoiled, this is so good, principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. We don't really use the term triumph anymore. We don't talk about that. It's not a normal thing. It's a, it's a big military term. You can win a battle or you can triumph over them. Jericho's walls, triumph. There's nothing left, right? You can win a battle and barely make it out with, with you know, all your clothes. You might have lost some stuff. You lost some weaponry you lost tons of people or you triumph by utterly crushing it everybody that saw it anybody that heard about it there was no doubt in anybody's mind who won because it's a triumph it's not just a win and it didn't say that he did it in secret he said watch i'm gonna do this and everybody can see it He wasn't crucified in a closed room behind closed doors and people just heard that he died. If you look into crucifixion of that time, it was a huge thing. They did it all the time. Um, We always like to think that, that his cross was, you know, 40 feet high and it, and it was held above everything. Most of the time the cross was his feet would have barely been off the ground. All the crucifixions. There was one, I watched a video on it, and it was the history of crucifixion, and it was thousands of people that covered miles. They just crucified them, just crosses all the way down. And the reason they would do it is it made them eye level. Whereas now, the judicial system... The way that prison is supposed to work is somebody goes, they get put in prison, they lose a bunch of stuff, and you go, I don't want to commit that crime because this happened. Or the ones in prison say, I don't want to do that again because of look look at what I lost. Well, what they would do is they would crucify somebody and then put their crime over the top of them. So you'd go, that guy stole an apple? Don't want to do that. Oh, that guy murdered somebody, that guy committed adultery, whatever. Whatever the crime was, but they were eye level. Because if it's up too high, you can just, and you don't have to see it. They'd put them out in front of cities. So when you came back into your city, down the main street, like right here in Bentley, it would just be both sides of the street, as far as the street goes. Downtown Wichita, up and down 135, up and down Kellogg. And they'd make it eye level to you 
So you had to see it. You could not look away. Jesus took that knowing what would come from it. Because it wasn't just for the sins of the world. It was, like we said, it was for your sins. But he took everything that was contrary to you. Anything that's contrary to you. So if you go from there back, or if you read all of Paul's letters, you can really figure it out if you read all, the, all of Paul's letters. What is contrary to you? That's not just, oh, well, the Romans. That's what they all thought, right? Oh, it's not just this. It's not just that. Everything that was contrary, you could not live a better life. I was listening. I didn't take any quotes today from that, but I was listening to Law or Grace. And Brother Branham was talking about the difference between the animal blood and human blood. He said, you can go to Africa and find somebody, go to China, find somebody. They can give you a blood transfusion, but you cannot take a blood transfusion from a dog. It's a different, yes, they are a warm-blooded mammal. But you have a life and soul. They just have life. Their blood is not the same type of blood. So when they would lay their hand, so if Aaron, I'm going to just pick on Aaron here, he comes up and the priest says, okay, your lamb is sufficient. He had to lay his hand on that lamb They would sacrifice it, and he would say, because I did this, because I did that, because I stole a loaf of bread. I promise I'll never do it again. And then he walks out from from doing that and watching this little lamb be slaughtered and sacrificed for what he did. What did that lamb do? Nothing. But he had to put his hand on it, and that was to depict that he put his sins on this thing. And then it died for his sins. And then what's he going to do? He's going to walk right back out there. And in the next year time frame, he's going to have to come right back and do it again. Because as human beings, even as perfect as Eve was and Adam was, the law is contrary to us. The law was there to show us that we needed somebody that could live by the law. You can't do it. Brother Sam has said it. I still do it. I still drive five miles an hour over the speed limit all the time. That's a law. If it says 60 miles an hour, if I'm doing 61, technically I can get a ticket. On a military base, they will give it to you for one mile an hour over. In England, they will give it to you for one mile an hour over. We can't do it. Even the simple stuff. Simple stuff. We started as a human race with one law. Then we went to a couple more. And then, and then we went to ten. And then now they have thousands. The Jewish people have thousands of laws. Because, I mean, it's really no different. You're like, oh, man, that's horrible. What's different than how we work here in America? Oh, well, you know what? There was a school shooting, so we're going to say it's illegal to have guns in the school. 
oh, they still had a school shooting, so we're going to say it's illegal to do this. And then you do, oh, it's illegal to do. And we just keep putting laws to try to convince people that, to not do it. But what happens? You do it anyway. You tell a little kid, don't go play in the mud. What's one of the first things they want to do? Go play in the mud. And it might not be so much out of rebellion, but it's just like, oh, I'm not supposed to do that. There's a thrill in doing it. So that's something that was contrary to us, the handwriting of ordinances. An ordinance is another word for a law. Ephesians 6 and 12, everybody should know this. We're not going to read the whole thing, I just want to read 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Do you think those principalities and powers and rulers of darkness against spiritual wickedness in high places are the same principalities and powers that Jesus made a show of openly? I believe it is. So why do we try to fight in our own strength if it's not flesh and blood? Why do we try to fight... When we go, I believe the word mad, I believe everything that is in between cover to cover. Okay, Jesus already won that battle for you, so give it to him. Well, I don't know, it's just my cross to bear. I know some of y'all have heard that one a lot. Well, that's just, it's just, I guess all we can do is pray. It's all we can do. Brother Branham said that prayer is in the hands of a believer is stronger than an atomic bomb. So, well, I guess that's all we can do is drop an atomic bomb on principalities and powers. That's all we can do. So how do we function in this power? You say, Matt, you showed me the power. You showed me that Jesus completed it. He took it away, every contrary, anything contrary to me. He defeated principalities and powers. We wrestled not against flesh and blood, but against those same principalities and powers. It's a battle of your mind. If you ever figure out who you are in Christ Jesus, just figure it out. You'll be an unstoppable force. Amen. Amen. Now, yes, we are human beings. Today, I woke up 5 o'clock instead of 5.40. Oh, it's 40 minutes, but I like my sleep. Didn't feel good all day. I had, like, chest pain, and then I'd lose my breath. I thought I was having a heart attack. I had, like, pain on this side of my chest, in the middle of my chest. I'd lose my breath, and I'd have a pain in my throat. I almost left work to go to the ER. And then I was like, what am I doing? I don't have to feel this way. I prayed, I gave it to Jesus, and I walked on about my day. 
it lingered for a minute, but then you kind of feel it letting up and letting up and letting up. I feel pretty good right now. Right? And I know, and I've said it before, any time that I'm preaching on any sort of victory, how to get victory, said victory, there's victory over there, there's victory in the cross, there's victory in Jesus, victory in the blood, Satan doesn't want me up here. It's not me. I'm nothing special. I'm definitely nothing special. Sadly enough, him and I had way too close of a relationship for a long time. I heard a song the other day that said, Hell lost another one, and I am free. And I thought about it, and the first time I heard it, I'm like, well, that's not nice. And then I was like, well, sadly enough, though, it's more true than it should be. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1. I'm going to apologize to Charity for having to pull all these up constantly, but I don't want anybody to ever say, Matt, that's just what you came up with. If I cannot back up what I'm preaching, what I'm saying, what I'm trying to teach, if I can't preach it or teach it out of here, then I shouldn't say it at all, but definitely not from a pulpit. I shouldn't try to convince you that I'm right and you're wrong without it coming out of here. Um, I left my phone back there, but Brother Branham was talking in, uh, I don't remember which one it was, but I have the quote, I promise, it's back there, I can show it to you. And he said, uh, it's okay if they don't see it. He said, if I don't see something, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to go to the scriptures and see what they say. And if you read, you know, if you know your Bible, if you read your Bible, that's, that's what a good Berean from Berea, that's what they should do because they studied their Bible. Somebody would say something, they'd go, okay, yep, you got that one. Check mark, you got that one right. Next one, okay, yep, that's what it says. But if you don't see something, and there, I mean, there's plenty of things that, he, I mean, we all should still be growing. Just like I said earlier when we started, if you ever are sitting stagnant, then you are not in the path of God. You are not moving. You're not studying. You're not asking. You're not praying. If you are sitting still and you're not getting revelation, maybe it's just a little crumb here and there. But if you're not moving forward, then you have left the will of God. 1 Corinthians 1, 17. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with the wisdom, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. I pray that I am never guilty of making the cross of Christ of none effect. Too many preachers today have put their twist on it. Excuse me, I saw a video the other day, a preach, somebody shared it to Facebook, a preacher was saying some of the most blasphemous things that I've ever heard, that Jesus was not the only way, and uh, 
I sent it to Erica. It was just, and he's standing. It wasn't from a message, but he was, you could, there's a church, and he's standing like right here. You can see his pulpit and a piano or an organ. And he is just completely saying that Jesus is not the only way, and this was wrong, and that's wrong. Well, they didn't have it right when they wrote these scriptures. Are you serious? If for nothing else, this is the only thing that's true. I've said it before. Even if you just read it for the letters that are on the page, read what it says. Don't try to read between the lines. Just read what it says. Brother Branham said, it's another quote I saw today, I'd rather have somebody that didn't know their ABCs but could preach the Bible with the power of the Holy Ghost. I mean, he didn't have a very high education, but he had some pretty wisdomly things, right? I mean, he came up, he didn't come up with it, but he was given stuff that theologians could never figure out. We talked about, you know, the blade of grass and how it's very simple, but I found out that in World War II, because blood supply was so low that they were using chlorophyll to supplement blood to give to humans for transfusions. So you can't take the blood of an animal, but you can take what, what makes that green, what gives that life, can help supplement blood to give you life. Explain that. You can't. But God said, you know what? And it might not work today. Let's be honest. It might not work today. They go, well, it worked in World War II, but this guy just died when we tried it. But God let it work then. It does. Chlorophyll does actually help cleanse you. It's great for you, but uh, it makes no sense. That should not work that way. But then you go, well, I'm nothing but a pile of dirt. I need sunshine. I need water. I need to walk barefoot in the grass every now and then. Doesn't make sense to our finite minds. But God had a plan. And it'll all come together. 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written... I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks require wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called. Are you called? I'm called. Both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, 
and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So that's how we function in that power. That's where that power, that's how we can access and tap into that power, right? Jump down to 29. That no flesh should glory in his presence, but of him are ye in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. We should never take glory for anything other than being in Jesus. Any gift that you're given is not of you. A great singer, a great musician. You pray for people, they get healed. You pray for people, they come back from the dead. That's not you. But how many people through time have has God given that gift of healing? There are massive healing campaigns. There's been massive healing campaigns. And then they start going, look at me. Look how great I am. I'm healing these people. Do you know how many people I've led to Christ? Zero. You ain't led nobody. God just put you in the way to say something that they've been work that God's been working on them with and they go ain't nobody's I ain't told nobody that how did you know that I was sitting under a fig tree right verse 20 God made foolish the wisdom of this world if you ever watch the news which I don't I have a, a lot of my coworkers will come up and tell me about stories that they, oh, do you see this? Do you see that? No. God made foolish the wisdom of this world. You look at all these scientists that do everything they can to prove God wrong, and what happens? They just further prove the Bible right. Every time they try, it's hilarious to watch. Every well, we found this and we dug this up. We were talking about Brother Sam and Rory and I were all talking uh, Sunday. Brother Sam had brought up Esther, and I was like, I've been holding on to this for this message. I wanted to preach out of a little bit of Esther, and I thought that was going to be the majority of what I was going to talk on. But So if you've never read Esther, it's not a long book. Go home and read it and pay attention to it. Esther 5, so backstory: Esther and Mordecai, they go to Persia is what it is, and uh, Mordecai basically adopted Esther, her parents weren't, in, weren't around, and I mean if you read it, it's almost like they're having tryouts to be queen, but Esther goes... She gets accepted. For a long time, if you actually read it, it was just kind of like, okay, you girls are over here with yours, and you're over here, and you're over here. 
And then a man by the name of Haman comes up and says, uh, I want to kill all the Jews. I'm, I'm quickly paraphrasing the whole book, so please go back and read it. And King ah- Ahasuerus is like, okay, if you say so, whatever they did to you. And a lot of it came from because Mordecai didn't bow down to Haman. Mordecai's like, why do I need to bow down to you? You're, I'm a Jew. You're a Persian. You're not even the king of Persia. I'm just standing by the gate hanging out in the sunshine. And you got mad that I didn't bow down to you when you walked by. So now you want to kill a whole race of people. It doesn't make sense. But that's what happened. So up into five... Brother Sam covered the, pretty much the rest up to this point Sunday. Esther petitions the king. He also went by King Xerxes, his Persian name, to have a banquet with Haman. Prior to this, Haman had convinced the king to let him kill all the Jews. Mordecai saved the king's life by telling of an assassination attempt. In Esther 514... Then said Zeresh, his wife, Haman's wife, and all his friends unto him, let a gallows be made of fifty cubits high, and tomorrow speak thou unto the king that Mordecai, Mordecai may be hanged thereon. Then go thou in merrily with the king unto the banquet, and the king pleased, or the thing pleased Haman, and he caused the gallows to be made. That's 75 feet high. A cubit is approximately 18 inches. So that's a 75 foot high gallow. If you had anything that was 75 feet high, especially out here where it's so flat, you could see it from anywhere in Bentley. Right? 75 feet is pretty tall. So Haman, through his wife, decided to build a 75 foot high gallow to hang Mordecai. Esther in uh, Esther 6, fourth, uh, yeah, 6, 4 through 12. And the king said, Who is in the court? Now Haman was come unto the outward court of the king's house to speak unto the king to hang Mordecai on the gallows that he had prepared for him. He literally went through all this trouble to hang one man because he made him feel bad. He hurt his feelings. And the king's servant said unto him, Behold, Haman standeth in the court. And the king said, Let him come in. So Haman came in. And the king said unto him, What shall be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor? Now, what had just happened above that was the king read some, some books of the Chronicles, is what they talked about, and found out that Mordecai had warned of an assassination attempt and saved the king's life. So what the king's talking about here, the king delighteth to honor is Mordecai, but Haman, being the conceited person that he is, thinks he's talking about himself. And Haman answered the king, for the man whom the king delighteth, let the royal apparel be brought which the king useth to wear, and the horse that the king rideth upon, and the crown royal which is set upon his head, and let this apparel and the horse be delivered to the hand of the one the king's most noble princes, that they may array the man with all whom the king delighteth to honor and bring him on horseback through the street of the city and proclaim before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delighteth to honor. Then the king said to Haman, Make haste and take the apparel in the horse, and thou hast said, and do even 
so to Mordecai the Jew that sitteth at the king's gate, let nothing fail of all that thou hast spoken. Then took Haman the apparel and the horse and arrayed Mordecai arrayed Mordecai and brought him on horseback through the street of the city and proclaimed before him, Thus shall it be done unto the man whom the king delighteth to honor. And Mordecai came again to the king's gate, but Haman hasted to his house, mourning and having his head covered. He literally just had all this work done so he could go in and tell the king, I'm going to hang Mordecai on those big old gallows out there. And the king just said, without even knowing it, Go do all these great things that you want done unto yourself and do it to your enemy that you want to be hanged. So the king says, great idea. Go get Mordecai, do all that stuff. In 6.13, and Haman told Zeresh, his wife, and all his friends everything that had befallen him. Then said his wise men and Zeresh his wife unto him, Pay attention to this. If Mordecai be of the seed of the Jews, before whom thou hast begun to fall, thou shalt not prevail against him, but shalt surely fall before him. What did Mordecai have over a general of the Persian army? The blessing of the Lord. Mordecai didn't do nothing. He didn't have weapons. He just stood by the king's gate. Wanted to hang out in the sunshine. Every now and then, send word to Esther about something. Right? Talk to his niece. And it upset the most powerful general. If you read through Esther, Haman was at the top of the power to the point that he was going to wipe out all the Jews in the land. Not even in their land, in all the land. And then there was Mordecai that had nothing but, and I say that very ironically, I guess you could say, just the blessing of the Lord. And he got everything that Haman wanted. If you keep going, he gets Haman's house. And his ring and his clothes and his blessings, and everything that the king had put on Haman. So during the banquet, Esther reveals that she is also a Jew and petitions the king to stop Haman's plan. Haman panics when the king gets mad and falls onto Esther's bed. The king then goes, you're going to try to take my wife in front of me? So fast, oh, and the king gets madder and has Haman hanged on his own gallows. Fast forward, Haman's ten sons get hanged on his own gallows that Haman had built. He was hanged by his own devices. And I wanted to talk about all of this because after this and to this day, they have the Feast of Purim, P-U-R-I-M. And what they do with the Feast of Purim when they begin it, they read the whole book of Esther. Once again, not a long book. We could have read the whole thing and still had plenty of time left over. Every time the name Haman is read, the people stomp their feet, boo, hiss, and shake rattles in an attempt to drown out the sound of his name. 
This is important to them because it reminds them of God's power and how he saved them. So now I ask you, how do you celebrate what he's done for you? Do you just walk and have a miserable salvation? Do you just, well, once again, it's my cross to bear. I had a bad day today, so... You celebrate by coming to Easter service, to Christmas service, Christmas service, or coming to church twice a week. Well, I paid my time. Oh, we had a work day Saturday. I was here. I paid my dues. Is that celebrating what God's done for you? Look at what God did for you. He became a man and didn't use any of his godly powers. My grandfather talked about a manger, and he said that when he was growing up, they would use the manger not just as a feed trough, but when they would skin goats or sheep or lambs because of the way that it's shaped, you'd put their back in it, and then you could cut them and fillet it back, lay the skin back, and it wouldn't get in the dirt. It kept your sacrifice clean. Once again, it's one of those things we go, a manger, a feed trough? Because it's not something that we use. So we just read right past it and we don't think anything about it. God came and was laid on something that is used to keep a sacrifice clean. And you go, well, I still have all these problems. How do you celebrate his power? How do you say, God, I know how powerful you are. I've seen what it's done in my life. The least I can do is... The least you can do is give everything. The least you can do. The least you can do is to come and and just give your all. When you are in his presence... You want nothing but to be in his presence. Not what he's going to do for you. Because he's already done it. It's yours. You have to realize who you are in him. If you're not in him, then you don't get nothing. We have to realize... Our position in Christ. I think the best celebration is to exhibit it on a daily basis. To show his power. To show his love. And to show his grace. How can we say that we are Christians but not have grace for our fellow brethren? How can we say that we are in Christ and he is in us and he is in the Father if we can't forgive our brothers and sisters for little things? He forgave the people that hung him and nailed him to a cross. It's written that what we bind on earth is bound in heaven and what we loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Do you understand how powerful that is? If Sam and I got into an argument and I go, I do not forgive you. If I am just in saying that, 
Do you realize how powerful that is? Do you realize the power that you have? Just by saying, God bless you. Do you mean it or is it just something that we say because we're message believers? I heard a preacher say once, be careful, you know, when somebody sneezes, you go, oh, God bless you. He said, be careful who you bless. Because that's what you're doing. When I say, when I hug Joseph or shake his hand and I say, God bless you. I'm saying, may God richly pour out everything that he has on you. Even if it means taking it away from me. God give him everything. Does he deserve it? No. What does he deserve? Death. Hell. The grave. What do I deserve? The same thing. Grace is getting what we don't deserve and mercy is not getting what we do deserve. Those blessings, when, when I say God bless you, I truly mean it. I want everybody to understand that. I, it, it might just say, well, I hear it all the time. No, I, I, may God richly pour out all of his blessings on your life. Not monetarily. We don't care about that. We don't need that. You don't need that. The world says that you need it, but there's too many people in here that can vouch for bills just going unpaid but never being sent to collections or, right? I mean, my uncle even, he had a bill paid when they went from, it was a motorcycle, but he bought it, didn't have a lot of money. He goes in after two payments and they're like, it's paid off. That's a blessing. That's stuff that can go other other places, like not necessarily into the church but into the church as the people if you're blessed with extra money and sister Vanessa's like my car broke down I need help and you go well I didn't have to pay any of my bills and I got an extra how much is it twelve hundred dollars oh that's the exact amount that I have extra here's a hundred bucks maybe it'll go to help you right you go Matt that's kind of no Think about it. Matthew 4. If I can get over there. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days. Anybody in here fasted 40 days and nights? Me either, obviously. He was afterward... And hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and the glory of them, and saith unto him, All these things will I give thee. If thou wilt fall down and worship me. 
Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Twice in that, Matthew 4, 3 and 4, 6, what did the devil say? If thou be the Son of God. You don't have to go far. We have, we have the, the ability. It's amazing for us. We get to just jump up a couple scriptures. Matthew 3, 17, what does that say? And lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Why was God pleased with him? Was it because of all the miracles he had done? Wait a minute, he hadn't done any miracles yet. Was it because he was such a great preacher in the church? He did that when he was 12. What did he do to earn the favor of God at that point? nothing he just believed i mean he was god we understand that but he just god said it i believe it so it's done simple but extremely powerful so why do we try to get favor from god by what we do and not who we are if you believe that you are a son or daughter of God, there's a couple dads in here. There's a couple kids in here. Do you, the only way that you know that your dad loves you is when you work your butt off for him? Or do you know that he loves you no matter who you are or no matter what you do? Better be the second one. We work because we love him. I go and help my dad out because I love him. Not because I'm trying to gain his favor. Not because, oh, well, the only way that he'll love me is if I bust my butt. That goes back to the prodigal son and his brother. If you go back to that, he had a whole speech planned out, right? But what was not in that speech? Two words that we always try to say. I'm sorry. He went back and the first thing he was going to say was, hey, I messed up. He didn't even get to tell him that I was in a pig pen. He just said, okay, I blew everything. I'm going to be one of your servants and work back into your graces. And what, what did the father do? He said, go get the fatted calf. Give him some shoes. How did the father, I, I'm stealing this from a, a minister that we listened to last night. How did the father know he didn't just come back for a pair of shoes? He didn't. All he was happy about was what? He was back. He said, get him new robes, get him a ring, which we've talked about the ring and the power thereof. Get him new shoes. And he said, and bring that calf right here and kill it. Why could they not have killed it there and then brought it up there to cook? Why did they not say, we'll kill it by the time you get back to the, the house, we'll have it prepared and on the table? Because the, the, the prodigal son needed to see what the father went through on how happy he was. That's why Jesus hung on a cross. Was so that you could see what he went through for you. There's a sacrifice there. Not just of a physical sacrifice. 
but that hurt him to go through that. Jesus said, if there's any other way, any other way, take this cup. There's not. All right, I'll do it. Are you willing to go through that for your brother? Are you willing to go through that for your sister? We try to do these things. If there's a place like in Mexico, it's this big long road and it's stones and stairs and it, they will crawl up it and it's like miles long. You have to crawl the whole thing and then crawl up these stone steps and when you get to the top, you like kiss the saints feet and, and you're forgiven and you're blessed because of what you went through, the blood that you shed to get there. Your shedding of blood will get you nothing because the blood that was shed for you is where true life comes from. Satan has perverted his own devices of tempting. We talked about this Sunday. Satan has convinced us that when he tempts us, it's just as bad as us committing the sin in the first place. Because then we go, well, I got tempted. I guess I'm not a strong enough Christian. I might as well give in. If that was the case, if being tempted was the sin, then Jesus wasn't sinless because he got tempted. We just read it. So we need to realize that when Satan's tempting us and trying to convince us that that temptation, we might as well just go ahead and do it. He did the same thing. But how do we get him to flee like Jesus did? Jesus said, it is written. It is written. Satan said, it is written. Oh, wait a minute. All three temptations, Jesus says, it is written. And Satan never argued it. He just tempted him again. Why? Because Satan knows what is written. He says it is written. Satan knows what is written. Satan knows his book better than most of us in here. Probably all of us in here. Satan knows every word, every comma, every jot, every tittle. Because if he didn't know it that well, he couldn't move it to make it mean something else. He couldn't take the apostrophe to make it possessive to now make it plural. That's all it takes is to move an apostrophe. To make it Jesus's possessive to Jesus's, there's now plural. That's all it takes. Change the word a little bit. But you cannot say it is written if you do not know what is written. I have, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to tell on myself a little bit. I've never studied my Bible more than I have in the past year, year and a half. Glory to God, right? Amen. But I'm 39, so that means there was a long time there that I didn't study. I read it. I've read it before, but I couldn't tell you what was in it. I could not say it is written when I got tempted. I could not say, ah, oh, that doesn't sound right. I think you added an extra word there. I think you took away an extra word there. That doesn't seem right. There's an actual translation of the Bible that took out the word blood. From cover to cover, doesn't say blood. There is no power in that. That's right. That's right. So if you do not know where your power comes from, let's go back to the Old Testament 
And let's read Psalms 121. Once again, this is one that we should all probably know. There's a song about it. Psalms is not a very short book. It is an amazing teaching tool. If you want to read through it and take your time reading through it, Psalms 121. Psalms 119 is the longest book in the Bible. I will lift up mine eyes unto the hills from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, which made heaven and earth. He will not suffer thy foot to be moved. He that keepeth thee will not slumber. Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is thy shade upon thy right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil, and he shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out and thy coming in from this time forth and even forevermore. What was left out in that? There's nothing left out. It's only eight verses, but it covers, encompasses everything that you will ever come into. That's where our power comes from. It does not come from how many times you've gone to church or how many times you've read your Bible. It does not come from your 75 hours a day of prayer. It comes from who you are praying to. And sometimes, I highly recommend this, when you're in your prayer time, just be quiet for a minute and let him talk back. How often do we do that? Lord, thank you for this, and thank you for what you're doing, and thank you for all these things. Okay, bye. And you never let him talk back. Is it a conversation, or are you just dictating to him? Are you a villain that just giving a monologue, or are you going to let him talk back to you? Romans 6. Starting in verse 1, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? No. God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? How can you that is dead to sin continue to live in sin? Romans 6 is a very deep chapter, and it takes some time to just sit down and study. Um, you know, I, I told you all about my new Bible, and I mean, all these, it's almost every verse has a note, and it goes to the next page to explain things on what it meant. But one of the big things here, I, I, I need... Three, know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Agreed? I hope there's a resounding amen. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection, 
Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him, so therefore it has no dominion over you. That goes back to the first half that we were talking about. You don't wrestle against that anymore. But Satan likes to keep reminding you of your past sins. I got plenty of them. But they're gone. Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, and, and but, but alive unto God through Christ Jesus our Lord. If you have not picked up the theme of this, it is you in him, not you by yourself. Because there's nothing you can do to defeat sin. There's nothing you can do to defeat sin but be in Jesus. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from, from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. How many times through all of Paul's writings, there's 12 that we know, we all agree, Hebrews is also his. How many times does Paul say that you need to confess your sins. Zero. What he does say is repent. I see the look on your face. You got confused. He does say repent. What does repent mean? We have changed that word. That repent means that I need to confess my sins to everything. Repent means a change of mind. Now, I am not saying that we do not need to, if I, if, if I foul you, if I sin against you, you and I need to talk. We need to have a conversation. But I don't need to come to you and say things that don't pertain to you. If it's something that's bothering me, I can talk to you about it. We should all be there for each other. Another thing, grace, how many times does it show up in the Bible? 305 times. What book does it not show up in? Leviticus. You cannot have grace and law at the same time. That's what all of this is talking about. Galatians 2. I'm flying through it. I wanted to read all of Romans, but or Romans 6. Not all of Romans. We'd never get out of here. Galatians 2, 16 through 21. Let me find my place here. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law... But by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. I feel like that was one of those like, you know, when you were in school and you had to write a really long essay, but you just keep saying the same sentence over and over, but different ways. But it, it gets the point across. No man is justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. If your faith is not in him and you are trying to earn your favor through the law, you, you are not justified. But if we, 
But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God, for if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. 1956, Spiritual Adoption, paragraph 124. There stood Moses, the law. Peter said, well, some of us keep the law. Now, there is no flesh justified by the law. So next, after God's law stood there, the next stood was Elijah. That's how they come in, in numerical order. The next stood was Elijah, which come after Moses, and Elijah represented God's justice, the prophets. And Elijah represented his justice insomuch that Elijah pulled fire out of heaven and killed the 50, and he was representing God's justice. So Peter wanted God's law and God's justice. No man can be saved by the law. And if you fail to transgress the law, there's only one thing left, and that's death. That's God's justice. God demands that. His righteous law must be have justice. So then, while Peter, speaking, wanting to build his tabernacle and asking God if he could do it, then they looked back and saw Jesus only. The law had failed. Let us, this morning, cast our eyes away from self-righteousness or something that we have done. I do not plead for law. I cannot be judged by the law because I'm lawless. No man keep the law, kept the law. They could not keep the law. And neither can you save yourself. Neither can you heal yourself. And if the law, by your own man-made will, you wanted to project that to the plan, then there's only one thing required by the law. If you fail, that's justice. And justice is to be condemned and die forever. It requires a total annihilation because he that breaks one point of the law is guilty of all the law. So you must die. But God, as we look at God's law and we look at God's justice, let's cast our eyes the other way. Look over here. There stood Jesus, represent God's love, not law, not justice. But in him was met the fulfillment of both law and justice. This is my beloved son. No more self-made stuff. Listen to your tutor. That's the reason Peter could say, Thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Law and justice was met in Christ, and it's God's love to the human race. God's love. God so loved the world. Move on down to Galatians 3. Once again, if you've never read all of Galatians, it's a great book. It is a great book. You'll probably have to read it a couple times. And then read it a couple more times and possibly a couple more times. 
Oh, foolish Galatians. If you translate that foolishness, it, he literally called them stupid. He said, oh, stupid Galatians. You hath, who hath bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you? This only what I learned of you, received ye the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith. He's literally asking, did you get it through your faith or get it through hearing of the law? Are you so foolish or stupid? Having begun in the spirit, are you now made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if it be yet in vain? He, therefore, that ministereth to you the spirit and worketh miracles among you, doeth he it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Even as Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, know ye therefore that ye which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. So then they which be of faith are blessed with faithful Abraham." For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is every one that, com- that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God. It is evident for the just shall live by faith. And the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. 1957, Hebrews, the evening service, Hebrews chapter 6, number 2. He says, now we're closing, paragraph 433. Then Brother Neville will pick up where I leave off. All right. And this I say, that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law, which was 400 years, 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect. That's the promise God gave Abraham before the law ever came into existence. For if the, for if the inheritance be of the law, it is no more of the promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Not by nothing you do, not by any laws, any laws of your church, by joining a church, or any other law. It's absolutely a grace act of God to you. There you are. Watch. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgression, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. Isn't that just as plain as the nose on my face? It was added to serve until the seed came, which was Christ, Christ to whom the promise was made. Your victory comes through faith in Jesus Christ, his finished work, the faith that it worked, the faith that it worked, the faith he is God, the faith he defeated death, hell, and the grave, the faith that you were crucified with him, buried with him, and rose again with him, a new creation. Free from the law of sin and death. You rose again free, free from sin, free from condemnation, free from being a slave to sin. 
Do you get the pattern? You're free. Back in Galatians 3 and 24, it says, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. The law was to bring you to Christ. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster, which was the law. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye all one in Christ. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ's. Once again, if I take that apostrophe, it changes the whole whole meaning of this verse. Then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. But you have to be Christ's to have the promise. 1962, hear ye him. Here he was. Now Peter wanted, right quick, he wanted a franchise on this. Said, let's start three denominations out of it. We'll build a tabernacle here for you, and we'll build one for Moses, and we'll build one for Elijah. We'll have, we'll just start right off here with three to start with. Now, oh, what a thing. I'm glad that he, it didn't go through. Because I wouldn't want to come to Moses. Moses represented the law, and the law has no saving power. The law can only put you in jail, can't get you out. The law has no grace to it, no sir. The law was a schoolmaster, and the law only condemned us. The law showed us we were sinners, but it had no grace in it. Then, what did... What did Elijah represent? Justice, the prophets, mercy. We don't want his justice. If I got justice, I'd be dead. And all of us would. We don't want justice. I couldn't want justice. Um, I'd be condemned. We don't want his justice. I don't want God's justice. But while we... While he was speaking, said, let us build three tabernacles here. And while he was yet speaking, I'm so glad God cut him off. Yeah, he said, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. He don't care about how many denominations you start and how many this you start, how much of this you start. This is my beloved son, hear ye him. What does he got for me? He's got grace. He's got pardoning. He's got healing. He has got salvation. I'm going to close on this. I kept you all a little long today. Singers and musicians can come up. His grace is sufficient. We've all heard that, right? Everybody agree his grace is sufficient. Do you know what sufficient means? The actual definition of sufficient is be as much as is needed. So no matter what you need, no matter how big it seems, no matter how weak you feel, no matter how defeated you feel, his grace is as much as you need. I heard, a, I heard a joke once that a, a guy rubbed a lamp and a genie popped out. And he said, what do you want? You know, you get three wishes. He said, I only need one. I want every time I, I reach into my pocket, I want to be able to pull out as much money as I need to buy something. 
bad things happen. That's why it was a joke. But that's what I'm, that's what Jesus, his grace is so sufficient that no matter what you need, no matter what you need, no matter how deep in sin you think you've ended up, no matter how far gone you think you are, just like the prodigal son, when he started coming up that path, what did the father do? He ran to him. Did the prodigal son deserve it? No, he blew his inheritance. He blew everything he was given. He had gone and slopped hogs. He was lost in a world of sin. And as soon as the father, as soon as your father sees you, when you think that you've pushed him so far away, he's just standing there waiting. And as soon as you come back, his grace is sufficient enough. No matter what it is, there's nothing left over. No matter what you need, it's covered. So walk away with that today. Walk away knowing that his grace covers whatever you need. No matter what it is, no matter how far bad you think you are, I thought I was pretty bad. I was pretty far gone. Like I said, Satan and I had way too close of a relationship for a while. But his grace was enough that I could learn more about his grace and I could come tell other people about his grace. His grace was enough that I'm still walking and breathing air. I don't deserve any of this. I don't deserve the family I have. I don't deserve my job. I don't deserve you as friends. I don't deserve to be able to preach in such a wonderful building that was a blessing to us. You look at the history of this building, we've talked about it. It shouldn't even still be here. But God saved it so that we would have the opportunity that I could stand here tonight and tell you about God's grace. Tell you how to get power to overcome when Satan comes at you. To tell you that when you say it is written, you got to know what is written because Satan knows what is written. He said it in Matthew 4. Satan said it's written. And Jesus had to go, well, it's also written. So if Satan comes at you with that and says, well, it's written. Where's your faith? Because you don't need to know it frontwards, backwards, inside and out, but you need to know who wrote it. That's where that discernment from the Holy Ghost comes from. Because he knows what's written. And if you just go, I don't know, but I know somebody who does. God, show this to me. Am I right in this? Am I wrong in this? Do I need to study more? We all have things we need to study more. I can guarantee that if you listen to some of my first messages, to some of mine now, and if we could fast forward into the future, I'm going to have more revelation. And if I'm not, then I don't need to keep preaching. Because God's going to open up a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more. And if I'm just going to go, I'm going to sit back here. One of the other quotes that I read, Brother Branham was talking about... um, uh, not Moody, but um, Wesley and them. And God said, you know, they saw the pillar of fire and they followed it just like the children of, of Israel. And then they created that just shall live by faith. And then God said, all right, we're going to move again. And he said, I can't. I've made, I've made a place here. I've made a denomination. And they sat 
and stop there. And then we go a little bit more. And we go a little bit more and we go a little bit more. But every single one of them, they said, nope, I'm happy here. Yes, there's growing pains. And you'll be like, oh, man, that, that hurt a little bit. Or I've never, I've never looked at it that way. God, show it to me. Don't just go, oh, well, that's wrong. I'm going to rip out every letter from Paul. I'm going to rip out where it says the just shall live by faith because, well, if I do good, I get good. If I do bad, I get bad. So that's, that, that's how I know God loves me. As, as long as I do good for him, he'll bless me. He bless you because you're faith in him. He loves you because you're faith in him and what he did. Not just a little bit of what he did. You got to believe all of it. You got to believe that it's finished. When he said it's finished, it's all finished. There's nothing left for you to do. There's nothing left for me to do but to try to show people that it's finished. It's all finished. Let's pray. Father, thank you for using me here tonight. Thank you for Thank you for revealing your word to us. I pray, Lord, that I didn't butcher it too bad. I pray that I didn't step in it too bad and muck it up. I just I pray that if there was anything that I said wrong, just take that out of their memory, Lord. Take it out of their mind that they won't even remember it, that it will not come back to them. I pray, Lord, that anything that I said that was uh, contrary to what you wanted me to say, that you will just replace that with your word and with your revelation in their hearts and in their minds and in their understanding that, that it will not be anything that I messed up that you will replace it and show them what you meant and I apologize yet again for anything that I did say that you didn't want me to say but I thank you for showing us your grace thank you for showing us your mercy I thank you for just who you are not for what you've done but I thank you for who you are I praise you for who you are. If you did not give me one other thing for the rest of my life, you still gave me too much. But I thank you for that grace that you will continue to pour out your blessings on me and my family, my friends, and my church, my community, my country, my state. Just because you love me, you'll bless everybody else. I thank you for everyone that is here. I thank you for them bringing their licks of fire that we can sit here in your presence tonight and that we can learn more about you and that we can, we can love one another and show grace to one another and we can grow stronger together, not just as children, as your children, but we are in the army of the Lord that we can, we can walk with you and we can see the battles that you've defeated that you've already conquered for us. And I pray, Lord, that that these words do not fall on deaf ears. I pray that you will open all of our hearts, including mine, anyone listening. I pray that you show us that power and where it comes from. Let us look unto the hills. Let us raise our eyes to you and not look at, not look at our battles, not look at the storm that is raging on around us, but let us look at the victory that only comes from you. Let us look at you walking on the waves and not the storm that is lapping up to our feet. Let us ever keep our eyes on you and let us, let us just love you more and more. I pray, Lord, that you let us continue to grow in this revelation. Just 
Do not let it stop, Lord. Let us not stop stagnant. Let us continue to move forward and have a closer revelation until just like Enoch, we're just gone. But that only comes from us having a relationship with you. I thank you, Lord, and I love you. And I ask these things in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.
tonight by his grace, his mercy, his love. What a mighty God we serve. Be in prayer for the services on the weekend. Be in prayer for what God has coming up the following weekend. God is doing very wonderful things. He's very merciful and kind to us. Do you appreciate your walk with the Lord? Isn't it interesting the things that you've been being led to read lately in your Bible? He's covering them tonight. That's not any uh, telepathy on his part. That's just God moving amongst his people. Don't you appreciate the Lord for his mercy to you? Come on now. Don't you appreciate his mercy? What a mighty God we serve. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed tonight. Sing that as you go.